In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Have you ever been watching a movie or a television program and noticed that there is something rather wrong with what they're showing on the screen? I don't mean a jump-the-shark moment, but something more like in the background, you see it, and you perk up a little bit and say, wait a minute, that's not right at all. A few weeks ago, I was listening to an astronomy podcast lecture, and the professor was expressing his frustration about how Hollywood sometimes depicts the moon. Usually, according to the professor, they always get the phases of the moon wrong. He went on to explain that crescent moons not only appear during certain lunar certain times in the lunar cycle but that crescent moons only appear at certain times of the day and the same goes with full moons and half moons in his mind as an astronomer one of the visual clues that he looks for in films is what phase the moon is in and then if the moon is appearing at the right time of day When something like that is off-kilter to those in the know, it can be a very jarring experience. I remember watching old Superman and Batman television shows and seeing the criminal shooting seven shots out of a six-shot revolver. Some of my friends who are attorneys share quite readily how wrong some of the detective and police dramas are. They make for good entertainment, but dive into a bit of fantasy that stuns and confuses rather than engaging and aiding to help move the story along. The danger becomes much more acute when we deal with real life, with the reality of living in the here and now and not in the fantasy of someone else's creation. We sometimes become stunned by actions or events that seem completely out of character or completely out of the so-called norm of living. There is the city elder who is brought up on corruption charges. There might be an old and venerable company that becomes embroiled in a scandal or even someone who looks like a tramp and a vagabond becoming the most generous and loving person imaginable. Christians have a responsibility and a duty to live into a reality that surpasses fantasy and that is very present in the now. Yes, we learn about our past and our history. And yes, we do dream about events in the future or of a full church again. But our main concern is with the now, the ever-present now of sharing and showing the love of God. But when we don't live into that love, it is like watching the crescent moon rising on film. It is something that is wrong and, frankly, is impossible to watch in real life. Today we have read the Beatitudes as they are recorded by St. Luke. In some ways, they are markedly different than those found in St. Matthew's Gospel, the ones that we are more generally familiar with. 
And the gospel according to St. Luke has a theme that runs throughout the telling of the Jesus story that is a little different, but no less important than the other three gospels. Jesus, in Luke's gospel, is concerned with the grittiness and the condition of people in the now of the gospel. It is a reoccurring motif in the gospel, and it is no less apparent here. Luke is not over-spiritualizing these beatitudes into some attainment of spiritual life. Rather, Luke points to the people gathered around Jesus, gathered around us too, who happen to be poor and hungry and have had justice denied to them. And it is in these Beatitudes that we as the church need to begin to take a hard look, a sometimes hard and difficult assessment of where we are and how are we really doing. We live in an age where institutions, from banks to universities, from hospitals to charities, are all under the microscope of society. And we are being told that they are not worthy to be trusted. Media outlets insist that they are telling us all the news that is fit to print, and that in some quarters it is fair and balanced. But in reality, it's all part of a concocted narrative or is just plain fabrication, like the newspaper journalist who was fired, fired several years ago for simply making up news stories. Government at the national and local levels, international politics, the current status of the COVID-19 pandemic, the surrender and evacuation of Afghanistan a few months ago, all of this sometimes makes us wonder if we are truly living in reality. And then we step into the world of the church and we, say, and we see that things are sometimes not much better there. There is the whole sex abuse scandal that is rocking the Vatican and the Roman Catholic Church and the worldwide cover-up which might even implicate some of the most beloved popes of recent years of turning a blind eye. There is the downfall of major evangelical church leaders due to extramarital affairs or embezzlement of funds intended for one purpose but going instead into the private bank accounts of preachers who get rich off the church. There is a certain televangelist who has begged his viewers to help him buy a $50 million jet. Then there are the Christian charities that seem to want to do good and to help others, only to have learned that bribes and blackmail are sometimes used. And then there are many bishops, priests, and other pastors who cozy up to power, have to have their photographs made with world leaders and celebrities, and they try to be hip 
and wear designer jeans and clothes and maybe even an expensive watch and become more like the secular and worldly leaders rather than like Jesus, like a Christ-like leader. In 1833, the Anglican priest John Henry Newman, who later became a Roman Catholic cardinal, was one of the leaders of the Oxford Movement, or sometimes known as the Tractarian Movement. And the end result of that movement eventually led the Anglican and Episcopal churches into rediscovering some of our ancient and patristic doctrines and modes of worship. Newman and others wrote a series of documents called Tracts over several years. Some were directed at the clergy, Others were directed at the laity, and others still at the church Catholic as a whole. Track 1, written by Newman, reminded the clergy of the calling of ministry of preaching with these words. And remember, this is 1833. How can we hold fast the form of sound words and keep that which is committed to our trust if our influence is to depend simply on our popularity. Is it not our very office, and speaking to the clergy, office there means being ordained as a cleric, is it not our very office to oppose the world? How then can we allow ourselves to court it? How then to preach smooth things and prophesy deceits, to make the way of life easy to the rich and indolent, but to bribe the humbler classes by excitements and the strong intoxicating doctrines? Surely it must not be so. When Christians be they clerical or lay, begin to act and, re and become remarkably similar to the world with all of its deceit and fraud and violence and even apathy to the poor and less fortunate. It is like watching something that doesn't make sense. We sometimes hear phrases like, Christians are a bunch of hypocrites, or I love Jesus, but I can't stand the church. And we should always be aware that those realizations are not only out there, but they're also here. And they have formed part of the history of this parish from years past. The church, with me as your priest, and all of you as lay Christians, should get a little uncomfortable with the woes that Jesus pronounces. You see, these woes aren't about other people. These woes are about you and me. Woe to you who are rich. And it isn't about having money set aside for retirement or saving money for a rainy day or even setting aside money to take care of your children. This is about having plenty of money, 
but not being willing to help those who are poor and can't make their rent or can't pay their electricity bill or can't get to work because they can't afford the gasoline. Woe to you who are full isn't about eating three square meals a day, but is about seeing people who are hungry, who don't have enough bread, and refusing to share with them, refusing to feed them. Woe to you who are laughing now is not about having joy, even unbridled joy, but it's the ugly laughter that we think is so cute, like when we tell or laugh at racist jokes, or tell the crude, over-sexualized jokes, or perhaps even pay money to go see some of the newer movies that are frankly deplorable and display the gutter mind of some junior high students, and we sit back and laugh and call it art. Woe to you when people speak well of you isn't about having honor bestowed upon you, or even having people speak the good work, speak about the good work you have done and recognize it. Rather, it is the pandering, the fake society norm of saying we're someone's friend, but are only truly after their money, or their approval, or even seeking just a little bit of their fame. Jesus gives us a clear charge in all of his teachings, but perhaps not so much as here. By setting up these opposites, blessings on one hand and curses on the other, we can see where Jesus plants his flag. And where that flag is planted is where the church and the diocese and even our parish needs to be present. Yes, we have the food pantry, and it does great and fantastic work, necessary work indeed. And if you've never come to help, it is something you really must do someday. But we can't rest on our laurels. The work continues, and there will always be more to do. Lately, we have depleted the priests in charge discretionary funds because we are finally seeing some of the severe impact of the slowdown of the economy. And it seems now that not a week goes by that we don't receive a telephone call from someone or someone is very bold and they make their way here and stop by the church seeking assistance with their water bills or even school supplies for their grandchildren. And looking around this city and around this county, there is more, much more that we can be doing. We often talk about growing the church, growing the parish, building up the body of Christ. And there are gurus and conferences and programs and trainings that we can all go to. But in reality, we will not honestly build up the body of Christ. We will not advance the church until we serve the poor and the destitute 
And those whose lives are on the rocks and those who are literally at the end of their rope, the destitute, the ones who are ended their rope because of addictions, the ones who are going through a divorce or bad market investments or their company, perhaps the business that they even own, has been shuttered. Growing the church isn't about attracting the right sort of people. Rather, it's about attracting all people. When the church universal begins to serve those whom Jesus ministered to and not get caught up in politic and power, then we will, then we will be more effective in proclaiming the good news. When we as the church take an active role in improving life for the people right across the street or just across town, and we learn their names and we tell them that they are loved and we welcome them into this place and actually mean it, then this parish will grow. When all of us get our hands a little gritty from the opus day, from the work of God, instead of just writing a check and saying that we'd rather not be troubled by seeing the poor and hearing their cries, then the church of God will begin fulfilling her purpose. The things that we do as an outreach or a ministry of this parish, they're good. Don't think I'm saying that they're not. But there is a certain urgency that being a Christian demands from all of us. And it is in doing the work of Christ because our love for Christ transforms and transfigures this world. A few weeks ago, we read that famous passage of St. Paul when he says, Though I speak with the tongues of angels and hath not love. If we do not have Christ's love as our motivator, as the engine of our soul, then everything we do counts as nothing. We all must learn that lesson a little better, just a little more each day. Let us learn to become the blessed. Let us learn to live into the true reality of Christ's love. When people look at us, Look at this parish. When they look at the Episcopal Church in West Texas, let them not scratch their heads and wonder if we are those hypocritical Christians or if we are those Christians who only accept the perfect and well put together. Rather, let them see what the loving reality of living for Christ 
and living with Christ looks like. Let them say, this, this place, this is where God truly dwells. And let them see clearly how the world should be in the now when we do all things, all things in Jesus' name. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.